0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, got a fun one today talking about muzzles and the way we talk about muzzles and how pet owners feel about muzzles. This is um, this is a fun one based on an article that was written for drandywork.com that has perennially gotten a lot of interest. Let me talk about the author, uh, my guest today. He's my friend, Dr. Michael Miller. He is the co-owner of of a four hospital small animal practice and he sees patients at lakewood animal hospital in morris illinois if any of you are veterinarians out there looking for a job he uh shamelessly plugs his open vet job in this episode which i uh i love i love the boldness (laughs) i love that he's just like hey i've got I'm, i'm here if anybody wants a job And like, I feel that so much. I just like, I think so many of us are, are, are in that boat. And he's just like, I'm just, I'm going to come on your podcast, but I'm going to tell people that I'm hiring. (laughs) That just makes me so happy. All right. In addition to dogs and cats, Michael Miller has a special interest in reptiles, which led him to start a wildlife rescue at his practice for hit-by-car turtles. He's volunteered on committees for the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians and serves on the Illinois Veterinary Medical Alumni Association Executive Board. After being a contributing author to the DrAndyWork.com and UnchartedVet.com websites, he started his blog called Harry Potter Vet, where he uses comparisons to the wizarding world to help veterinary professionals and himself discover the magic in veterinary medicine. Outside of vet med, he also is discovering the magic of parenthood as he and his wife raise their two young sons. Guys, Michael Miller is a joy. I am glad to have him on this episode. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to cone of shame with dr Andy Rourke welcome dr. Michael Miller to the cone of shame podcast it's good to see you again my friend it's it's good to be back it is it is well last time you were here we were talking Harry Potter stuff um, you are mostly known on the internet as the Harry Potter vet and we talked about the deathly Hallows of vet medicine last time which uh, people really enjoyed it was a, I, I, I like that episode a lot I love those sort of philosophic uh, discussions the As I look back uh, through the Dr. Andy Rourke website and I look at popular articles and articles that have been sort of continuously popular over time, that's not the one that I think is most popular in the long term, even though I think it it's probably probably my favorite of the things that you've written. The one the one that that keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up is called Stop Saying Party Hat. Muzzle is not a dirty word. I recently had a a client who did not want her dog muzzled, and it kind of made me think of that article, and it made me think about how I communicate about muzzles, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just, I wanted to come back and dust this off, and I'm curious, you know, that article came out about five years ago, and that was before sort of the fear-free movement and things like that. I'm just curious how your thoughts have evolved, if they have evolved since you wrote this article, which was basically, we need to normalize muzzles and and just be clear about what we're doing. So let me turn it back over to you from there and and yeah, walk walk me through that a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the article, the original uh, impetus for writing it, and kind of. What, if any changes have taken place in your mind since then?
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot happens in five years in, in vet med. And so certainly as I, as I go back to it, there's definitely things that I think that I left out that I hope we get to discuss today and clarify a little bit, because the way I look at muzzles five years ago and the way I look at it now is not exactly the same. Um, But the the interesting trivia for this is: Did you realize that this is the first, the first piece that I ever submitted to DrAndyRourke.com back at five years ago? I did not realize that. Yeah. Way before Harry Potter vet, and so just a little, a little plug out there for any aspiring writers that may want to see if, uh, if they can get something, get something published on your website. Go ahead and submit it. The worst that happens is they say no or give you some edits, but. This was the jumping off point for a lot of uh, opportunities in my career. So I want to want to thank you for that opportunity. And I appreciate the the chance to kind of go back and, and revisit this.
0: Well, thanks, man. Well, thanks for saying that, you know, um, for anybody who who writes or is interested in writing or, or things like that. I think a lot of times people put enormous pressure on themselves like I have to figure out what I want to say in the long term or what my general position will be in the coming years and and what i would say to them is this is a great example of someone who just had something to say and they wrote it and they learned the process of of getting something published and and then participating in the feedback and and the discussion that they had started and you obviously evolved and and found other things that you really like to write about and kind of made your own way but um yeah, it's, it's okay just to have an idea and just to write it and just to make something and put it out in the world. And so I just think from a creative standpoint, I think your journey is, uh, is, I think it's, I think is really interesting. I also think it's, um, it's kind of common in, in the fact that you started with something that you wanted to say and then sort of evolved and grew from there into something that's much more you than, uh, than a statement on, on muzzling.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this became kind of a, um, personal topic for me because, because of my own dog. And I think that's one of the things we have in common is that uh, we have uh, dogs that are not necessarily model citizens. <laughs> right. And right. so my dog is one where he gets muzzled every time he comes in for a nail trim and uh, and it's become something that's just normal. And I sort of realized it really helped me in discussing muzzles with clients when I could say, Hey, I muzzle my own dog. This isn't, this isn't something that's different or that is shameful. Like this is something that, that I do my my own dog for making the procedure easier and and keeping the staff safe. So it's, it's okay to do it for your dog too. Yeah. I, I would tell you
0: having a dog that does not, uh, ascribe to societal standards of behavior, uh, he, he lives his truth and doesn't care what society dictates is uh, what it means to be a good dog. Um, that has made this conversation a heck of a lot easier because, you know, I think when I only had had uh, traditionally good dogs in the past, uh, it was easy to be like, I don't understand why your dog's not behaving. And now I'm like, oh, I totally understand why your dog's not behaving. I I completely I completely get it. and And just I don't know if I'm articulating that very well. I guess what I'm trying to say is any shred of judgment that I had over the uh, the the pet owner in the past is long gone as my dog is not to be trusted at all in the vet clinic. He's just not. And so uh, I think that that has made this conversation a whole lot easier because I'm going, yeah, my dog gets a muzzle when he comes in and I don't think twice about it and it's just what we do. I think as a vet, it's made me better because I think of my dog being muzzled, too. And, and again, I don't want to take this too far, but I don't want dogs with muzzles to be afraid, and I don't uh, believe that we put a muzzle on a dog and then treat it like luggage because it's not going to bite us. Like, that's, I don't think that. I've never thought that, but I especially don't think that now when I know that it would be my dog at the groomer who's wearing a muzzle. You know what I mean? And and so I think that uh, making gr- muzzling a positive experience has become a much bigger personal deal for me because it affects me and my own dog now. I think
1: that's a good point of something that I I left out of that article. Um, Yes, I think normalizing the conversation about muzzling and making it feel less shameful because we don't want to we want to call it a party hat or something else because we don't want to use that word and set people off. Um, and sometimes it's just unclear communication. So then the client thinks that you're literally putting a party hat on them and you show up with a muzzle and that doesn't go <laughs> over very well. Um, yeah. so that kind of, you know, I've, many people have used this before, but it's one of the, the current things of, you know, the Brené Brown clear is kind. Let's yeah. be upfront with people and, and discuss it and, and take the stigma away from it. That if that's what we really need to do to, to better serve the patient and the client and the staff and and find that balance and and I think that's the key in veterinary medicine is trying to find that balance of keeping your staff safe versus keeping the patient comfortable and and it's yeah. different for each individual yeah i
0: I, I really love that, Brene. That's my favorite Brene Brown quote is clear as kind. And I use that. I use that a lot uh, because it, it's true. I think with muzzles, honestly, I think this is an exercise in boundary setting for some of our people. And it's something that vets need to get better. I It's like, look, I'm not going to work with your dog if he's going to try to eat my face off like that's a personal boundary. I'm just not going to do it. And um, I think a lot of people hear that, especially traditional sort of old school vets and go, how dare you say you're not. You know. How dare you say that? You, it's our job to do it. And I go, look, man, I, I have, I have my boundaries, and I, you know, I'm keeping my face, uh, and and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not going to get bitten. And I think that we, we need to balance again. As you usually use the word balance, it is balancing the needs of the patients, and it is balancing the anxiety of the patients. But for God's sakes, the, 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 the safety of my staff and myself, that needs to be. Uh, Equally uh, high priority I mean at least equally high priority And so I feel Like part of the normalization is Just me not I'm not kidding around About it and like I, I Think that there's definitely a line Where you can be overly aggressive Or be a jerk and be like everything's getting muzzled And I think that seems extreme and there is a Cost to that right there is a cost in anxiety uh, To the patients that don't Need it of getting it you know what I mean I, I'm sure That that it it, in those cases, can kind of make things more stressful than it would be without. But on the other side, it very much is um, about just being clear of like, I'm not going to at some point it's not a request. And I will say we we need to, we All right, So we need to get a muzzle, And then that is going to allow us and I'm not talk about the benefits of the muzzle, But I say we need to get a muzzle. And that is going to allow us to work quickly and get this done and get Buster back and loose and free being totally taken care of. And so ultimately, I do try to pitch it as the benefit to the patient and to the client and talk about speed and efficiency and us doing a better job. Because God knows we've all seen uh, pets that that the owner didn't want to have them muzzled. And as a result, we're all working with one eye. Turn to the side for our own safety. And that's what that's when you quick, uh, you know, some nail beds and and you jack this patient up where they're going to be even more terrified and angry next time. You know what I mean? And like, ultimately, we just would have been better to say, look, (laughs) your two options are I can put this muzzle on or we can sedate her and do this work. Or we can try this another day and see if she comes in and is, you know, is less stressed and more open to having this done. But for today, we're either going to need to put a muzzle on her or we're going to need to sedate her so that we can do this work and do it well. And I tie it back again to the quality of work. I'm not going to do a half ass job. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to take your money. And do a crappy, you know, and do a crappy wound clean so it's going to heal up and look awful. Like you came to me. I'm going to take care of it. This is, this is what I need to do my job. And, And I think, I think as a profession, we need to get stronger about just saying, this is what I need to do my job.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a, a different case that this, this week, um, it was a dog that, Hadn't been eating for five to seven days and vomiting and upset stomachs issues. Um, Oh, and it's a two year old dog that is used to eating things that it shouldn't. And so, of course, foreign body is high on my list of differentials. Oh, the other part is that this is a dog that's on a daily anti-anxiety medication because otherwise they can't touch it and so yes this dog was sick when it came in but it's given me that whale eye and every sign in the book that I'm like I don't really want to do an abdominal palpation without some sort of safety measures and this was a patient that came in at the end of the day and it has already been sick for a week and I'm like I don't think it can wait to send you home and try to to get something in it or keeping everybody 3 hours late to sedate it for something so mm-hmm. we put a muzzle on it and it was much calmer with the muzzle Mm -hmm. on. It let me feel its belly. And Mm -hmm. I used, as a young vet, I used to always joke with the older vets that could actually feel something on palpation and something was in there. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, right. You felt that whatever. Oh, I could absolutely feel the the foreign body in the, in the small intestines in this dog that was 10 pounds underweight and had no other fat. And I would never have been able to feel that if we didn't muzzle the dog and we gave a less than quality exam because we were concerned about what we could do with the dog without a muzzle on. So yeah. allowing that dog to have a muzzle got us to a diagnosis quicker and got that dog to the emergency surgery that it needed to have to save its life. And so, I mean, that's kind of an extreme that does that happens. <laughs> that does not happen every time, but There certainly is something to be said for these dogs that are stressed out. Other low stress handling techniques are not working or you can't get medication Mm -hmm. in them. And the muzzle helps you to give the care that that animal needs in a safe way that doesn't get anybody hurt. Um, And I think that's another point of this. And I kind of joke about it at the very beginning of the article that uh, when I was early in my career, I used to joke when people asked how things were going and, Maybe I was struggling and I didn't want to tell people that, but I would joke and say, hey, I at least still have all 10 fingers. And I kept getting strange looks. And I realized that people that are not in veterinary medicine don't realize that it can be dangerous to work with stressed out animals. And there's that disconnect between the clients who have no idea what you're dealing with on a daily basis and staff members that have seen the worst case scenario and seen one of their team members sent to the hospital for an injury that could have been prevented. And and that certainly plays into the, the kind of mindset of each of those populations and being clear about what the expectation is on either side and why we're choosing to do this, I think helps to bridge that gap a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think people definitely need to know the why. I, um, you know, I think about other professions and it's like, I have no idea what's dangerous about being an auto mechanic. You know, I, I, I'm sure that if I – I'm sure that they have no interest in using the jack that I have in my car, you know, to to jack this thing up and take the tire off and get underneath it. Like, I'm sure there's, there's dangerous things that I'm simply unaware of. That's why they don't ask me if it's okay if they put my car up on their, you know, safety racks and do the job the way that they need to have it done. It's not a question – it's not a question. It's just – hey, this is what's going to happen. And I, I think that that, I, as part of normalization, I think that that's where we need to go as well. To your point, letting the clients know, one, this is not a big deal. You know, it, we do this all the time. This can be a calming thing. This lets us be faster. I go back to the, you know, the Buddhist definition of uh, the meaning of life is to minimize suffering. And I think that I think the two things we need to think about really with muzzles is number one, how do I minimize suffering? And in some cases, it's put the muzzle on and do this thing right and get it done. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean don't act like, I don't want anyone to think he's, that they're thinking I'm saying, ignore stress of the patient. I'm not, I, I'm definitely not. But I am saying if the the concerns of the client about, I don't want my dog muzzled and, I, and I'm going, look, um, I want this to be as good for your dog as possible. And in this case, my honest medical opinion is, we need to muzzle him in order to do this and get it done so it doesn't become an ongoing half fixed problem. And, and so that we can get it over with and he can get uh, out of here and celebrate with you. And so I, I think that that I think that sort of directness and that that play to why I think is really important. But the other thing is, I, I really do think part of normalization is how we present this because you're right. You know, pet owners don't think of our job as being dangerous you know they don't realize that a cat bite can end your career like they don't they don't have those pieces of knowledge and so i i don't think that it makes sense for us to try to educate them on those things when they come in you know it's it's a big piece of a conversation we've got a lot of other things to to cover and so i think the the answer is instead just to be very transparent you know not no surprises I, i really love your point about we say, oh, we're going to get a party hat. And you come in with a muzzle. Uh, that's a surprise to them if they, if they weren't expecting or they didn't really, they just kind of nodded their head and didn't really process what we were saying because they don't deal with muzzles in their normal life. And we call a, a muzzle a party hat every day. They have heard it literally once in their life. And so this is kind of a, a jarring experience for them. And now they're, you know, people don't like to, to be surprised. So that's it. I, yeah, I was talking to some of my texts yesterday And we've been doing curbside service at the practice. And um, we've had an option where people could, if they wanted to come in, they can come in and wear a mask and things like that. And so we're sort of at that point. And it's funny, the different technicians you work with, the different experiences you have as a doctor, because if you work with some technicians, you do all of your appointments curbside. And if you work with other technicians, you do almost all of your appointments in the room. And so yesterday, two of the techs were talking, and I had worked today with this. I, I, they're all wonderful techs. I, I very much like them all very much. And um, they were two of them were talking, and one of them says, how do you get all of the clients to do curbside? And the first tech who, like, I had seen all curbside appointments all day long. She said, well, I just go out and tell them, all right, well, we've got you scheduled for a curbside appointment, and <laughs> this is what that means? You know, and she said, you get the same communication and care of coming inside, but uh, from the comfort and safety of your own car and blah, 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 blah. And then she says, is that okay?" And they all say, yeah, Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yes. Versus the other technicians like, well, I go out and say, is it okay to do curbside today or would you like to do curbside? And they say, no, (laughs) I'd like to come with my dog. And it just that conversation, it just highlights so beautifully
1: why presentation matters yeah words matter well, the way things are said matter and you can have two doctors that have the same level of quality medicine but if you're better at communicating with the clients where they are and connecting and you know I sometimes I struggle with the idea of feeling like a salesman in veterinary medicine Because you don't want to feel like you're forcing people or tricking people into doing things that they don't really know what what they're what they're doing. But there's something to be said for being able to meet somebody where they're at and describe the situation so that you can provide the level of care that you know is best. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where I've certainly changed my mindset on some of those things is I'm not trying to get them to do something that's bad for their animal or bad for themselves. I'm trying to get them to a point where they can see my view and they, and we can agree, we can have some common ground of what's going on. And so again, that communication and being clear of, you know what, I I think the best thing for your animal is to, to try to do the, the muzzle today. And, and, and then I think another part that I missed on that initial article is that I don't think the muzzle should be the only thing that we're doing for these animals, that that's one of the things that absolutely has changed that sending home medication for them to give prior to a future visit so that maybe we don't have to use the muzzle the next time. But even if we do, it'll be less stressful. Um, and, and using some of those low stress handling techniques in conjunction, it's, it's like a lot of things in vet med. There's not one thing that's going to cure this. There's multiple aspects of what we can do to reduce the stress of the animal. And, help make it a safer situation for our staff. And and I think that was one of the things I left out of the article, that I don't want people to think that the muzzle is the only answer. And I also don't want it to be, you kind of alluded earlier, I don't want this to be an excuse for you to mistreat an animal. There, the muzzle sure. is not an excuse for you to treat that animal differently than you would treat any other patient. And I right. think that's I'll... the point that if that's what's going on, we need to stop and have a discussion. And, you know, I doesn't feel like I've been in this profession that long, but back in my pre-vet days when I was an assistant, I certainly experienced those cases where we would spend 10 minutes with a very aggressive dog struggling to get the muzzle on and then having that dog be stressed out for the entire amount of time for whatever we were trying to do with them. And that didn't yeah. sit well with me and, you know, I I've, I did a I did a mic drop at Uncharted about scars and I have a scar on my hand that has never gone away from a horrible nail trim at a place that I was externing at that has been my reminder that I don't want to be that kind of a doctor. I don't yeah. want my patients to be that way. And I think that's the only thing, not the only, that's one of the things in this this muzzle article that I want to make sure we clarify that yes, the muzzle can be helpful, but it's not an excuse to practice medicine in a way that's detrimental to our patients.
0: That's such a great point. Like, so the muzzle should be normalized. It should also be normalized as a single, fairly limited tool in our toolbox, you know? And and like, hey, here's the other thing, uh, you know, you wrote this five years ago. I think one of the significant advancements our profession has made in the last five years is with pre-appointment medications. Uh, You know, I think God bless uh, the fear-free stuff in in this regard, especially where it's like, you know, I that was that was new Kung Fu for me was like, oh, having this patient that I know that I have an established relationship with having them come and pick up a medication, the owners uh, the day before or a week before and then have them just give this pet something just to take the edge off. And now a patient that I couldn't work with, even with a muzzle, I can now absolutely work with or a patient that needed a muzzle now doesn't even really need a muzzle like it's just it's that subtle difference and it's like man that's really the kung fu is the things that you do before the appointment and you know to set them up for success and then the other thing is I would say the backside of the muzzle is very much uh, real meaning there's a certain patient that the muzzle works great for and there's patients that are beyond that and they're terrified and now we've taken away their um their defense, and they're more terrified, and we're doing permanent psychological damage. Uh, and again, we need to look at the patient holistically, and we say, you know, do no harm, and uh, you know, the goal is to minimize suffering. Well, we can't say that even if we're doing a good job of cleaning up this wound or doing this thing, we are traumatizing this dog in a way that they are they are suffering, and we are not minimizing suffering. And and I think that one of the big advancements that I have seen in our profession is I, I know this is very clinic by clinic specific. But our willingness to sedate pets, I think, has increased significantly. And thank God. And I I just I think that vets are hopefully getting better at communicating the need for sedation and just saying this is not going to work. You know, this is not going to work. We need to sedate her to do this procedure and do it right.
1: And I know you I know you love uh, vet techs. And that's one of those aspects where the vet techs can be so valuable of they know this patient you may not have seen this patient before, but they've seen it three times. And they're like, okay, you know, normally this is what works for this animal. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, this dog is not acting the way it normally does when he's in here. We need, we need to do something different today. Um, and so relying on those team members, because if the first moment you walk into the room, that patient is already on edge um, and and you didn't kind of set your team up to be able to be be forward with you of what what the situation is today i mean there are plenty of times where i'm thinking about 17 other things and the support staff snaps me out of it and be like hey you know what, this patient is stressed right now we need to deal with this in the moment and right. and refocuses and and relying on the skills of your of your vet techs can be so important with with these stressed out patients you, I feel like a lot of clinics have that one technician that is okay. You know what? There's an aggressive dog. This is this is her this is her thing. She's she's the one that can handle this. And there certainly are people that have a, a special way with with the dogs, but they also have the experience to be able to pick up on those signs. Uh, recently, I was kind of taking for granted how good our technicians are at recognizing that, and we had a new assistant who hadn't had as much experience around animals. And, and I kind of picked up on different things that were happening that, that maybe they were not as aware of the mental and emotional state of this animal. And I just taken for granted how good my experienced techs are at reading that. And, and I think that's part of the training for some of these new employees that you make sure that we don't just assume that every dog is is going to lick your face when you walk in the room and be the, the most uh, gracious patient. Uh, yeah. to try to get that get that uh, sense of of what the mental state is on those animals and, and training your staff to be able to deal with that and relying on them to help you deal with that.
0: Well, you can get really spoiled really fast, you know, working with experienced people, and it's easy to just be like, yep, this is the norm, and you don't realize how lucky you are. So I, I completely agree with that. For me, there, there's there's a couple things that the techs are, are especially useful for one of them, as you said they 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 know the patients better than I do, as far as this this particular dog and remembering dogs that's not that's not that's not a strength of mine um to to be quite honest, so the things that I have found um the technicians are exceptionally valuable when they go ahead and set expectations for the clients, and even if they don't do it if they say all right, so we're uh, most likely going to need to get a muzzle and we'll do this and blah blah blah, and they don't even have to do it, but just saying to the client. We're going to get a muzzle uh, for when the doctor comes in, or we're uh, we've sedated her in the past, and that will probably be the the plan today. Or uh, based on this on this injury, most likely, Doctor Rooker is going to want to sedate her to fix this. Any of those things that put that idea into the client's mind and let the client sit with them for a little while before I come in, those are beneficial because now this is not a shockingly new idea when I say it. It is an idea they had heard before the other thing. So part of it is time. They have time to sit with the idea that there's going to be sedation or there's going to be restraint or whatever. And then the other part is now they they've heard it from two different people. They heard it from the nurse or the technician who said, this is what's going to happen. And then the doctor comes in and goes, yep, this is what's going to happen. And now two healthcare professionals have said the same thing. So I just, I, I it's hard to, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over how, helpful the technicians are in making this go smoothly. And then the the other part is, uh, and you touched on this as well, intra clinic communication about what works with a patient is really important. You know, it's like if this is a uh, less is more patient, if this is a, a patient who responds really well to treats, if they're highly food motivated, that's really valuable information. And it does surprise me how few clinics have come up with a good way to tag that information to that patient file in a way that that is consistently uh accessible you know what i mean it's like i think a system that re- re- relies on you working with a technician that remembers that was a good plan uh, i think that's a crappy system and uh i think that um i think that uh, for a lot of the clinics even if people take these things they'll do uh, and record them they'll do it very sporadically so it doesn't happen a lot and if they do do it they'll often do things like put them in a pop-up but the clinic will become that clinic where there's eight pop-ups and no one reads any of them and just clicks right through them and it was funny i uh i i just i saw an appointment just like yesterday and the pop-up was like this person wants to see only one doctor regularly and that doctor was working next to me, but I was the one scheduled to see this clinic or this this client. and I was like, "Huh, Wonder how that happened, you know, But it's just um, it's just it's just funny how we have not figured out that level of communication, and God, how valuable it is.
1: well, and and updating that. I've worked at a place where there was a pop-up that said, "We'll not see Dr. So and so." And that doctor hadn't worked there in five years. So like okay, maybe <laughs> yeah. we can maybe it's time to delete that pop-up from the medical you, record. You just never know though. If he comes back, <laughs> we don't want we don't want to cause problems. But but that's something true with too with these dogs. I've had some where the pop-up says this dog needs a muzzle, and then over time that muzzle makes that animal worse. And so yeah. I've had a couple of patients where we've developed again with changing things in the last five years since I wrote this where now that dog doesn't get a muzzle. It gets a pre-medicine before the, the visit. It goes into our exam room with a lift table because we realize that when it's up on the table, it's much more um, amenable to uh, to uh, treats and, and whatever we're doing to distract it. And now we can do things with that animal without needing to muzzle him. Mm-hmm. And muzzling him actually made it more stressful for him and less safe for us. And so... Yeah that's the, I mean, that's the double-edged sword with the muzzle is that it's not right for every case and you can evolve your treatment plan over time. Um, so yeah, it goes back to luckily this article continues to be popular and people continue to, to enjoy it. But that doesn't mean that what I did five years ago is the exact same thing I'm going to do for that patient now, if things have changed over time.
0: Well, and and that speaks to your quality as a doctor is it's, We shouldn't be practicing medicine the way we did five years ago, and especially on something like animal restraint and anxiety, you know, um, and and patient comfort and things like that. Like that has been a place where our profession has surged forward in the last five years. And we should all be doing things differently in that regard than we were five years ago. So I I think I think I think you're exactly right. I, I I still think I still think the article is a fantastic conversation starter in practices. I really love it as a reading assignment for staff meetings. Say, hey, staff. We're going to read uh, this this article, and then we're going to talk about it. Do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? What do we do about muzzles? How do we talk about muzzles? What is effective in our practice? You know, things like that. And that is a super productive, active, engaged staff meeting where everybody talks about this thing that they are all invested in, and uh, and it raises the quality of your practice. So anyway, I love it. Thank you for
1: writing the article. Thank you for being on the podcast, Michael Miller. Where can people find you online? So we didn't talk about it very much today, except at the beginning. But normally, I'm talking about Harry Potter and magic and and relating <laughs> that to veterinary medicine. But as we mentioned, this was this was pre Harry Potter vet. But uh, usually, I'm most active on on Instagram uh, in our what our vet community loves to call our Vetstagram community. So if you Send me a message on Instagram. That's probably the easy way to get a hold of me. But there's also a website, HarryPotterVet.com, and uh, and you can you can reach me there as well. So those are the places that I'm at, and uh, and then I also you know practice medicine every day in my In my hospital. So yeah, (laughs) you could if you really wanted to find me, I'm sure you could you could track down our hospital and uh, just a a little hint out there for anybody who may be looking for a job. Now's a good time to look because there are plenty hospitals like mine that are willing to hire a doctor. So (laughs) (laughs) if you don't like the way your clinic handles muzzles and you want to find somewhere else, now's a good time to look. This is the longest wind around to a job pitch I've
0: ever heard. Like I love it. It's a half an hour podcast that turns into a,
1: a, a and we're hiring. Like I love it. Lakewood so animal good. hospital in Morris, Illinois. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I love it. Oh, thank you, my
0: friend. Thanks for being here. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> thank you. And that is our episode guys. I hope you like, I hope you enjoy it. If you like communication conversations like this if you like talking about how to get pet owners to buy into what you're doing check out my other podcast it's the uncharted veterinary podcast I do it with Stephanie Goss it's every week it's practice management communication leadership stuff Um, it It's awesome. I really, really love it. We started it before we started Cone of Shame, uh, and so we've got over 100 episodes in the vault, all very uh, topic-driven, meaning we take an issue and tear into it, and so whatever you're wrestling with in your practice, there's quite possibly an episode for you over at the Uncharted Vet Podcast. Guys, take care. Be well. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Oh, man. All right. I am so excited. We have so much good stuff coming up in Chartered. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what we've got coming up? Heck yeah. Uh, first
0: things up is my personal branding talk. I'm talking about marketing for uh, veterinarians or people who want to grow their relationships with uh, with pet owners, honestly. So that's uh, that's a big thing. If you have any interest in, uh, in social media, in blogging, podcasting, writing, uh, things like that, then this would be a great workshop for you. It is uh, free to our members. It is 99 bucks for the public, which is a super steal. It's two hours. It's on March 28th. And then, Stephanie Goss, we have the big daddy, the April Uncharted Conference. This is the granddaddy of them all. Is our marketing strategy <laughs> conference. This is the one that started them all. It is virtual this year. Mm-hmm. It is going to be all about simplifying and streamlining your communications to do more with what you already have that is going to be april 22nd through the 25th uh is registration is now open we will put links for all of this down in the show notes so excited